Hi everyone, Lars Hammer here, pastor at Lord of Grace Lutheran Church here in Marana, Arizona. Welcome back to this, this early spring devotional series I'm gonna do, a little mini Bible studies. I'm calling Spiritual Gifts and Spiritual Encounters, where we're gonna look at some Old Testament passages and then New Testament passages where people encounter God and where they are given spiritual gifts, where the Spirit gives them tools to work. And we're gonna start in the Old Testament because this isn't only a New Testament thing. This is something throughout the whole scriptures where people do encounter God personally. And what does that mean for us? I know I've been hitting this theme pretty hard since COVID, this idea of uh, looking back again at our personal spiritual lives, looking at our own faith development, kind of looking inside. It's a little solitary focused, a little individual focused, I'll admit. But right now, it's kind of what we've got. You know, we're mostly separated from people. You know, we don't have our normal connections. We don't have our normal worship. So we have an opportunity here to spend some time reflecting on our own faith life, on our relationship to God, on our connection with the Holy Spirit before getting back into other things. And I'm a believer that before we just jump into things, it's helpful to sit back, to be open to the Spirit, to pray about it, to ask for God's guidance on it. And um, sometimes, uh, you know, a crisis like COVID or some, something else that can cause a big disruption in life can be a good opportunity to stop and step back and rethink things because it's often when we experience those big disruptions that we, and we step back, that that's when we will encounter God. And with Moses, you see that kind of pattern happening, right? Here he was in Egypt and he got in trouble. And so he went out into the Sinai desert. So he's, he's running away. There's been a big disruption. Right? He had this comfortable life in Pharaoh's court, but after killing one of the slave drivers, getting mad and watching them uh, abusing his fellow Jews, he kills a slave driver and then gets in trouble with the law and goes on the run. So there's been this massive disruption. And now his life's been turned upside down and he went from this very wealthy, privileged life to now he's herding sheep out in the Sinai. And it's a new life, it's a kind of comfortable life, although a lot less money and a lot more work. And, uh, but he's got this new life. And so there's been this big disruption. Well, uh, as we saw, Moses is out herding sheep and he's, he encounters God in the burning bush. That's what we looked at last time. And we kind of remember that story. There was fire, but the bush wasn't being consumed. And so Moses said, why is the, fire not burning up the bush? Why is there just fire and a bush? And so he looks at it and then immediately the voice comes to him and tells him, Moses, Moses. Now Moses has got to figure out who is it that's talking to me? He's encountering something. He doesn't necessarily know who it is. He hasn't heard this voice yet. It's a new voice. And so then he says, uh, so then in verse six, it says, this is God speaking. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So how does God identify himself? He doesn't give a proper name. He doesn't give any attributes. He doesn't say, I am the creator. I'm the lightning bolt thrower. I am the one who sits, I am sitting on high. 
God doesn't identify himself by his own qualities. God identifies himself by his relationship to his people and his relationship to Moses' ancestors. Kind of an interesting way to look at it there, that the primary way that God is known is through the relationship that he's had with our ancestors. The relationship is how we know God. God, Knowing God's exact attributes, how big is God, how powerful, those are things that are kind of hard for us to, to pin down. But what we do know is this, and that's why God used, talks to Moses this way. He's saying, Moses, I am the God that your ancestors followed, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That'll be a formula the Old Testament uses a lot, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The God who first appeared to those three, the God who first delivered the people out of where they were before into the promised land, the God who was with them is now with you. So he's speaking and he's bringing Moses back and Moses doesn't question it at all. He said he hides his face because to look at God is, is too much. It's scary. When he realizes who he's talking to, he, he hides his face because he knows that God's glory is so powerful and, and can be a little frightening too. So he hides his face and that's when God goes and gives him his marching orders. All right, Moses, I've seen the people in slavery. It's time to bring them out. I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to be the person that brings all the people out of slavery, that brings the people back to the promised land. But then Moses has got a problem. It's been a couple hundred years that the people have been in Egypt. They've been exposed mostly to the Egyptian gods. They've probably forgotten the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. A lot of them have probably forgotten what it was like in the old country. None of them have lived in the old country. They've all lived and grown up in Egypt. This has been the only thing they've known and the Egyptian gods everywhere. And so Moses is looking in that bush going, all right, what can I, um, who should I tell them? So verse 13, but Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Right? I mean, how do I, how do I know it's the ancestors? How, how do I know it's not some other voice? I mean, it's a legitimate question. If somebody comes up to me and says God spoke to them, you know, I'm going to want to make sure that that's true. Did God speak to you? Were you hearing another voice? Are you making this up? You know, there's some discernment to go on there, right? So give us his name, then we'll know. Right, Moses, give, give us his name. Well, that's when God says in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this my title for all generations. So which one is the name and which one's the title? Is it the I am, or is it the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? You, you, you'd have to be a smarter scholar, a Hebrew, than I am to figure that one out. We tend to assume I am is the formal name is the title, but you could just as easily read it as the, the God, that God's name is, his title for all generations is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
So I guess if somebody came up to you and said, you know, who do you worship? You could say the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and that would be an, uh, that would be an accurate answer. But to get back to verse 14, this is the famous I am verse. I am who I am. Now, get a little nerdy for a second. If you dig into the Hebrew, that word in Hebrew, which we call, which we roughly translate as Yahweh, that word that's written out doesn't have vowels in it. And that's how most of Hebrew is. There's not, re there's not real vowels. You're just supposed to know which vowels go in between the consonants. So you can take four consonants, which is what this name of God is, and you put different vowels in between them. Well, you can make a lot of different words. That I am who I am, Yahweh, could also be I was who was, and I will be who I will be. So it can change the tense. So I am the God who was, the God who is, and the God who is to come. That will be a formula they'll use in the Bible too. I am the God who was, the God who is, and the God who is to come. And um, I am who I am. And just tell them that the one who was and is and is to come is the one who sent you. And um, there's something about that that's always been kind of amazing. And um, it's that God won't give you like a formal name. And in essence, you kind of, if you need a formal name, it's to distinguish you from other people. But if you're the only God, you don't need to have a formal name. You know, if you're my Viking ancestors, you need to know that Odin isn't Thor, isn't Frey, isn't Loki. You need to know which one's which. But here in the Bible, there is only one God. So you don't need, to, he doesn't need to have a name. He just is. He was, he is, he is to come. I, I just am that one. And uh, I don't need to give you a formal name. The other thing about it that's that I, I think is very powerful here is this idea that there's a certain eternal mystery to God that you see in the name. I always was, I always will be, I always am. It's timeless. God is timeless, right? God is eternal and timeless, going stretching in time both ways. And that means that anyone who's that timeless and that eternal is going to be hard to pin down and know completely. In our human brains, locked into one linear time, we don't get, we can't really truly understand the depths of someone who is timeless. So God is a mystery in a sense, not a mystery in like, I can't, I don't know what it is and, or I, maybe if I can crack it, uh, it's a mystery in the sense of there's so much more there than we could ever possibly know. That's what a mystery is in Christianity. It's not a, a secret. It's not an unknowable secret. It is just something that is so deep and awesome that you can never know all of it, where there's always something more to know. Our God is a mystery where God doesn't ever show all of himself. We only ever get little glimpses. And the glimpses we get are amazing, but all we can ever get ourselves is little glimpses because who God is is such a mystery, such a deep thing that we can always know more. We can always go into it more. And so this is what Moses encounters. Someone so powerful he has to hide his face, but so mysterious he doesn't have a name. That's our God. 
So an encounter with God is really, in a sense, entering into a mystery. You're, you're, you're diving into a mystery. You're, you're dwelling in a mystery. You're getting to know a God who, you, in many ways, you'll, you won't even have good words to use. And that's what the spiritual path in large part is. It isn't about decoding specific answers. It isn't about getting certain, locking in certain truths. It's about putting yourself in a place with God where you allow yourself to dwell with God and soak in the mystery and the glory of the one who was and is and is to come. And that can be both exciting or threatening, depending on how you view, choose to view it, depending on where you stand. But this is what we get from Moses in the burning bush, the entering into a mystery. And so that's something we can all kind of keep in mind as we seek out a spiritual path, is that we're not asking God for fixed, hard answers. We're asking God to let us into the mystery that is God himself, to dwell in that to dwell in and with God. So there we go. A little bit more on Exodus 3. So I hope you all have a great day and uh, we'll see you around. Take care.